Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, Noah, my husband, joins us. Hi, Noah. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm happy you're here. I'm always thrilled to have you in studio. It's exciting to be here. Everybody loves your voice. I don't know about everybody. Yeah, they do. I think it's important to have a father's input, an adoptive father's input. I agree. I think that's important. So I'm glad that you are that father's voice. Oh, thanks. (laughs) We are the adoptive parents of four children. We started Adoption Now six years ago, and we are in season six. And we share stories from the perspective of the adoptive or foster parents, the adoptee, and birth parents. This season has been so inspiring to us. What I've learned so far is the importance of never giving up And I'm seeing these stories change people. I love that adoption changes people. The journey is going to change you. If you're just starting, you're going to be a completely different person than when you started. And I've seen people go from, I just want a baby to how can I help children? It's like going from, I'm trying to expand my family to how can I love better? And that's been an incredible journey for people. And what about the family that we had on had 13 children and some with severe special needs? And the mother says, this is my calling. I'm good at this. I like that she said that. I'm good at this. We prayed that God would send us the kids who need us the most. I love her confidence in I'm good at taking these kids to the doctor. I'm good with their care. This is what I'm called to do. I've been trained to do this and I love it. And she's not overwhelmed. I'm like, are you overwhelmed with 13? (laughs) But she's not. I love learning the not always lesson. What is the not always lesson? You know, not always. Like when we say to people, don't bump birth order. Right. Right. But not always. Some people do it and it works out. You know, these are the things that we're telling you that we've learned. But then we have a story come in and they're like, but (laughs) we did it this way. Like the foster care system, we would say to people, don't necessarily go to the foster care system to expand your family because the foster care system is geared for reunification. So if you really want to adopt and expand your family, go to private infant adoption, right? But then in that story, she went to foster care and she brought home her baby from the foster care system. So not always. Not always. It's like we say, right? Adoption is never really black and white. There's always gray. Mm -hmm. And so... Anytime you think this is the way it's going to be every single time. Not always. Not always. Adoption is definitely a lifelong journey that we are committed to continually learning about. And this next interview is kind of exciting because Noah did the pre-interview accidentally. (laughs) Our guests today are from Ohio. Marlon and Lisa Miller are adoptive parents to four children with special needs They also have a publishing company that publishes a monthly magazine that focuses on special needs, ministries, missions, adoption stories, and resources. And it reaches over 3,000 people. I think 300,000. 300,000 people. That's a lot of people. They also have a nonprofit called Room to Bloom. Marlon and Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Hey, I can't believe that you and Noah got a chance to pre-interview. It was definitely a random 
thing, uh, but it was a, it was a real joy. We're like best friends now, Marlon. <laughs> indeed, indeed. We do spend time pre-interviewing every single person that comes on the show. We want to know what they're like just talking to them and want to reassure our guests that, hey, how this conversation goes is going to be very similar to what we're like when we record. Don't be nervous. We're just having a conversation. So tell us how you both got started in the adoption world. Well, I would say that my calling began early on because I had family members who had adopted, that it was something that I was used to growing up. And I was just always amazed by their stories. And I would ask them to tell me more about it. And I was fascinated by it. And I feel like the calling just got stronger the older I got that adoption was something that I would really want to do if if I was supposed to. And it kind of was a longing that never really left. Mm-hmm. What about you, Marlon? Well, I had never really considered adoption uh, as, as a kid. I, I always thought that, you know, you got married and you had children just kind of showed up and that was kind of the game, you know, kind of the game plan. And as Lisa and I, you know, were married for, I think we were married for what, babe, like five years or so and still nothing yeah. had really uh, yeah, come together. And then that's when we kind of, you know, jumped into the infertility game and then that didn't go anywhere. And then we, we, we both knew, I think Lisa knew before I did that adoption was where the Lord really wanted us. It was, it was good. So in that process, you started your home study or what was the next step for you? Yes, we abandoned the infertility treatments pretty quickly, actually. We didn't give it much time because our heart wasn't in it. We felt like God was asking us to get our home study and get started with adopting. And so that's what we did. And we we completed our home study pretty quickly. And then it wasn't two weeks after it was approved is when we were matched with our, our oldest son. Two weeks? Yes. Mar- Marlon, how did that make you feel? Uh, I, I don't remember because it was so <laughs> fast. <laughs> it was so fast. Number one, we had no idea what the need was really like, you know, for, for children that are, you know, not not this perfect little infant. And, and then, you know, kids that have, you know, any, any type of special need, uh, th- there just are not many families back then, especially you know, that, that would say, um, you know, Hey, yeah, we'll take those. Uh, so yeah, it happened very, very quickly for us for sure. So was this a special needs baby? No, he was almost four years old and, uh, he came out of a disrupted adoption. So we really had no clue what we were doing to get started. Oh, wow. Talk to us about that. What is your feeling on disrupted adoptions? I mean, obviously it worked out in this case on your side, but going into it, what did you feel about that? I don't think we really had time to think about the situation, even where he was coming from until after he had been in our home for a while. We started to reconnect with his biological family and the family that he had been with before for us to see that they made hard choices but it was always um, they were looking out for his needs and what was best for him. And so it, it was best for him that he was placed uh, in a different family and he was starting to thrive in ours. I could say so many things about this 
we could park here for the entire interview. Of course, I don't want to do that, but it's amazing how much Noah and I have changed in the journey. And when we saw that there was like second chance adoptions, for instance, we were like, how, how does this happen? Why would this happen? Because we didn't understand the needs of the child are the most important thing in the adoption, right? And when a family cannot help the child, sometimes what is best is for the child to go to the next family. And in this case, he was thriving with you. Yes. It took some time though. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it took time. <laughs> I'm. It's opposite of what you think it's going to be like though. You know, you think, oh, well, you bring home this child. They wrap their arms around you and say, thank you so much for adopting me. Right. <laughs> and everything's yeah. perfect. And then it gets really messy. And so you bring home this four-year-old, which is your first time being parents. Talk to us about that. How did he attach? Oh, it was rough uh, at the at the beginning because he was, he really struggled if we were even out of his sight. And yet he didn't want to open up to us to allow us to take care of him if he hurt himself or if he needed something. He was trying to be self-sufficient and yet he really, he would have to have a hand on us or eyes on us at all times. And he didn't sometimes believe if I would go to the grocery store and he would stay home with Marlon. The one time, the first time I came back with groceries, he came running out and said, oh, you came back. Like Aww. he couldn't believe it. Did you know right away he would stay your forever child? I think so. Yes. We, we knew that there were some things going on and it wasn't until many years down the road that he received his diagnosis of being on the autism spectrum. So we knew that he was struggling with attachment and he had other things in play, but we knew that we were in it for the long haul. We were going to stick it out and, and do our best for him. Now, Lisa, you also said that you prayed that God would give you children that need you. Yes. What an amazing prayer. You know, not that you're praying for the perfect family or the perfect child, but the perfect child for you and the child that you could help the most. I think that is an incredible thing. So when when Bryson had been with us for about two years, we were just starting to have the conversation of when would be a good time to start searching and to open ourselves up to adopting another child. And uh, once we had that conversation just between ourselves, then our it wasn't but a few weeks later, our agency called us and told us that there was a birth mother who was placing her baby who was due to be born in a few weeks and would have, she would have Down syndrome and she would need surgery soon after she was born. And she said, you were the only ones in the whole agency who marked, yes, you would consider a baby with Down syndrome. So we sent off her profile and we were just so excited to meet them. And I do believe that they did talk to a few other families as well but we were the only ones that they actually met with. And we met with them one evening and really connected with them and talked about going to appointments and planning where she was going to be born and where she was going to have her surgery because we still had five or six weeks left until she was supposed to arrive. And then she was born the very next morning after we met her birth family. Oh my goodness. Wow. Marlon, one of the things that we 
talk a lot about is how it's really important for the husband and wife to be on the same page. When you were talking about special needs and that being a you know the box that you checked off, was that something that you felt like was already a part of what you knew your calling was, or was that something that you really spent a lot of time talking through? Well, I grew up with an aunt that had Down syndrome, and I, I think I think it's much more of a miracle that that uh, that Lisa herself was open to Down syndrome, uh, probably you know more so than myself because I grew up with you know with a family member. Uh, and, and honestly, I would, I would watch my dad, um, pop would cross a room, you know, of a thousand people. If he saw a family with a kid with down syndrome, uh, pop always had a $5 bill in his pocket, you know, and, and was ready to give a hug and, you know, just get to know the family. Um, and, and, and he was out to just make a friend forever. And so I grew up watching pop do that. And so for me, you know, being, being, faced with the question of, you know, would I, or would I not, you know, have a son or daughter with down syndrome for me, that was an easy question. You know, absolutely. I would, but Lisa did not, I mean, she did not have any experience as, as, as far as I know, uh, you know, with folks, uh, with down syndrome. And so, you know, for me, it was easy for her. I think it was, you know, much of a, it was a different uh, story. So, but yeah, we, we were very much on the same page. Well, you didn't have very much time to think about it. You went home and got a call the next day that she was born. Right. Yeah. Were you in shock? A little bit, yes. I mean, we all know what it's like, those of us who have been through it, and you get the call and you're like, I don't even have baby <laughs> stuff. What, what, right. what are we supposed to do? We don't even have a carrier, a car seat. <laughs> if I can go back just a skosh to our oldest son's adoption, I have said many times, I think there's a wonderful, beautiful uh, reason that God gives ladies nine months, you know, of, of, of a pregnancy, you know, for the mom and dad to prepare, you know, being thrown into it. You know, Lisa and I were the type that, you know, we would sit and drink coffee and read, you know, go, you know, just be able to go out together. And we were thrown into the deep end of the pool with this, you know, four-year-old wild, wild and (laughs) you know, crazy little four-year-old, uh, with, with no time to prepare and, and learn and think through, you know, how to be a dad or, you know, how to be a parent. Uh, so, so that was a bumpy, that was a bumpy little bit for, well, for me, for sure. I wasn't that bright. So it's a big shock for anyone when you're bringing home a baby, you Mm -hmm. know, it's just, it's a shock if you haven't had the nine months to prepare, to mentally prepare. And then all of a sudden you go from sleeping to not sleeping at all. And yep. I'm sure it was like that even with a four-year-old because it's a new place. He sounds like he was scared. And so all of that learning had to happen really fast. Yeah. It was very quick. Okay, so talk to us about the first time you see this little baby girl. She was um, born so quickly that she arrived almost on the way to the closest hospital. So she was not born where we had been planning collectively that she would be delivered so that she would um, go directly to the NICU. So we drove up to the hospital and we met with her birth family and talked to her birth mom. And then we went and saw her and she was just completely covered in wires and taped up and had feeding tubes and all sorts of things to the point that it took a little bit for them to get her out of 
the isolate to so we could actually even hold her. And then she was transported by ambulance up to the children's hospital. So we had to follow her along and none of the papers were in order or signed. And it was just kind of a, a rocky start to everything just with figuring out um, how this was going to work and getting everything in line. And she ended up being in the NICU for seven weeks. And in that time, she had five different surgeries and we almost lost her a few times. Um, but we brought her home, this tiny little six pound baby with, she had a feeding tube and she's a fighter. She's been a fighter from the start. So um, it all worked out well. Wow. You guys got thrown into the deep end again. A medically <laughs> yes. fragile baby is also very challenging. Yeah. It, there, there, were, um, there were many times that I would sit there and hold her and try to you know, feed her and just sit there and say, oh, okay, Lord, you got you to gotta show us how to do this. And, and you know, it, it's, a, it's a massive amount of uh, humble pie because you really have no idea. At least I didn't, you know. I think I think Lisa's you know motherly instincts I think took over. Um, I I don't have a whole lot of motherly instinct in me. So uh, <laughs> thank God though, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It was it was very easy to jump into her care and to make sure that we were doing everything we needed for her because she was just so so small and she just needed us so much. So. Um, it was a joy. I mean, and it was amazing to watch her blossom from from being so so fragile to gaining strength and beginning to learn and and grow and develop. And what did Bryson think? He liked her. I mean, <laughs> as much as he could like anything, he he liked yeah. her. Um, he didn't feel threatened or replaced or anything. He just kind of scooted over and made room, and and he was happy to have somebody that would listen to his stories for endless amounts of time. <laughs> and she would just she'd just sit there and watch him with her big blue eyes just riveted on his face, and he would just talk and talk and talk. So it was really precious. Aw, I remember when we had a little boy in our home that needed some extra therapy and the therapist came in and said, often tell your children there is enough love in our family for you and there's enough love in our family for this next baby or the next baby. And we often even say that now to our older kids, even though they know there's enough love, but to remind them, hey, there's four of you and we love you so much. There is enough love here for all of you. Yes. So you had more love to give, so you decided to adopt again. Yes, we did. This time we knew that we wanted to adopt another child with Down syndrome, for sure. Both of us felt like now we know what the need is and we know how incredible they are and how much how many kids need a family. So we joined the registry of the National Down Syndrome Adoption Network and we started getting calls from Stephanie, the director, about babies that were needing placement. And we were on the registry for about six months. And in that time, there were only two weeks that we were waiting to hear, that we were not waiting to hear if we had been selected or not, or if the birth family had decided to parent. And one of those matches, we were matched pretty 
pretty directly after we joined the registry and it was a very quick match where they called us on a Tuesday. We were chosen by the afternoon. We had to be interstate by Friday and she was going to be delivered Saturday morning. And when we got to the hospital that Saturday morning, the doctor and the nurse met us at the door and said that the baby had been stillborn. And so we really just had no need to be there. And and so they basically sent us back home. Oh no. How did you guys deal with that loss? It was hard, but I think deep down we knew, you know, when, when the timing is right, when the child is right, when everything is lined up the way God has planned it, it will work out and we will not be met with, you know, a situation like that. So we took heart in that and just went back home and, and started up again. If I can just add one thing to that, I think if we would do it again, I would have asked to meet the birth mom and, and also ask for the baby. Um, there, the, there have been many times that our oldest son and, and uh, Lisa and I have wished that we would have a grave or something to go, um, you know, just, just to, just to have something uh, to remember her by. Um, mm. our, our oldest son gave her a name and it's just one of those things that, that I would have done things very, very differently had I had time to think about it. Yes. I'd, you know, had maybe we even asked, you know, what arrangements, when Mm -hmm. arrangements had been made that we would be allowed to know, you know, where, where she was buried. So we could maybe take a picture of the grave or something um, to be able to share with Bryson who he took it to heart. And, and it was a process for him to deal with that disappointment. That's so hard. I can't even imagine. And we've done that before too told our children, you're getting a brother, you're getting a sister, and they're super excited, and then it doesn't work out. And that's so hard for their little minds to understand. It is. So how long after before you were matched again? Uh, We were matched then um, probably just like four months later. We were matched with our son. And it was a, this was a call that I just knew when I saw Stephanie, Uh, that she was the one calling. I told Marlon, I said, all right, this is Stephanie. And I know this is our baby. And sure enough. And and I answered the phone and Stephanie was like, Lisa, I think this is your baby. And she told me a little bit about the situation and um, she completely forgot to tell me where he was going to be born. And so then I, I called her back and I was like, wait a minute, where, where is he going to be born? And when she told me, I was like, oh my goodness, it's the same um, town where Marlon has some uncles that have vacation homes. And so even though we were driving 18 hours away, we had people there that we knew and they were so generous and they allowed us um, access to their home, which was, we were planning to use. And it's a good thing we were planning to use because in true form, our third son Bennett arrived very abruptly and before we were anticipating. So we were planning to leave um, on a Friday and the Wednesday before we were planning to leave when we only had just begun to pull suitcases out of the closet, then the agency called and said, your baby was born last night. Is there any way you can catch a plane or start driving and get down here so we can get the paperwork rolling? Oh my goodness. Here you are thrown into another situation. Yes, they all seem to happen very quickly. So what did what did you end up doing? 
we packed the whole house in two hours, packed up the kids, got the neighbors to feed the goats and the chickens. And we loaded up the van and hit the road and drove straight through to get down there. And thankfully, my parents were able to drive down the following day so they could stay with Bryson and Adelaide at the house so we could go to the hospital. We had to get all the papers signed and meet with the birth family and everything. Uh, And was he healthy? Oh, he was not planned to have any health issues. But when he was born, he did stay in the NICU for two weeks. And then when he was discharged from the hospital, he was on oxygen and an apnea monitor. So we constantly had to check his breathing and his oxygen levels. And the apnea monitor would go off at night and scare us all. (laughs) But we... He was on that for the remaining time that we were out of state. And then we had to actually visit a specialist before we were able to complete the ICPC and head for home. And in that visit with the specialist, he discontinued both the oxygen and the apnea monitor, which was a huge blessing for the travel time because we were trying to figure out um, how to transport the canisters and, and use the cannula and everything on the road. Uh, with his feeding and everything. So, oh my gosh, were you stressed? That one was a little stressful because we had such a long drive ahead of us and and just this tiny baby that I was still so used to being concerned about his respiratory. Like I would keep a hand on his chest just to make sure that he was breathing and that his airway was open. Uh, when we didn't have the apnea monitor on him anymore, I realized that I had actually become dependent on it to help me know when he needed help or when he was in distress. So thankfully he was growing out of it already and and he grew out of it pretty quickly once he was home and started to put on some weight. It's really hard to go through two weeks in the NICU also. It is exhausting and very stressful, especially when you have other children and you're like trying to parent them, but then you're at the hospital and then you don't know how long you should stay there. And you're trying to work shifts, right? One of you is there speaking for, for the sure. baby and helping the baby. <laughs> and then you go home and you've got other babies waiting for you. We've been there before. And two weeks yes. feels like two years. It really does. Especially for us dads, because it's like what you said, we don't have that motherly instinct. And so I know that we've had similar experiences and trying to get through that where was your head at, Marlon? What were, what were you thinking? Uh, down in Florida? I don't know that I remember because I was... He was okay. in survival mode, totally. <laughs> yeah, we, we were publishing our first magazine and I had quite a bit on my plate and I was trying to be there for Lisa and, and for little Benny and it was, it was a little hectic. How old were the other kids at this time? Uh, Adelaide was not quite three. She actually celebrated her birthday while we were out of state. So she was just turning three and Bryson would have been nine, I believe. Wow. Okay. So they were a little bit older. Well, I guess the three-year-old is, we had a three-year-old and then a child in the NICU and it was just really hard for him to understand because he, you know, he was only three and we did the same mm-hmm. thing on all of our adoptions. We took AJ everywhere we went. And recently I was asking him, have we done damage? <laughs> you went through every single traumatic experience with us and, you know, brought home babies, didn't have the baby. And then this one we have, but we're in the NICU and, you know, all the things, but he's pretty resilient. 
he was like, no, I knew, you know, that God was going to take care of us. And, but I, I wonder sometimes, is this the healthiest thing to take him? Did you ever wonder that when you're taking your kids on the journey with you? Yes, that was the, the out of state adoption. That one really stressed me out just because of the distance and not being at home and trying to, trying to take care of this newborn, trying to take care of the other kids and watch them. And so we were so grateful to have grandparents there to help because I was kind of a mess just trying to deal with everything and, and learn all of his care. And it was so much better. Once we got home, we all could just breathe a little bit easier. So how long after before you're like, we need another one? Oh, well, that actually, we had decided we are done after Benny. We decided we're done. Our family is complete. We are going to focus on just taking care of these kids. We moved to a different house and we decided we're not going to update our home study. We're not going to re-up all of the things needed. And we're just going to, we're just going to stay the course. And then it was probably, oh, I should think of the timeline, probably like four years later after we said that, that I just felt like God was trying to prepare me for something and he was stirring my heart and I was thinking about adoption and I was, I was thinking and I was looking and I was reading and I was praying and I would start to ask Marlon things like, should, are you sure we shouldn't go to China? What about all the kids there that need families? And what, maybe we should just get our home study and then we'd have it just in case. And then we wouldn't have to, you know, start all over again. And he was pretty quick to say, no, we're not. No, I don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. And Marlon <laughs> was like, we already went from two to three, three to four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And you also were working on your magazine. Yes. Right. Well, I, I think I had made the comment, you know, I'll go to China if the Lord wants us to, but I'd really rather just have him. If he wants us to have another, you know, another kid. You know, let's just have them, you know, bring them to our door. <laughs> Famous last words, I guess. Oh, yeah. no. Was a baby brought yeah. to your door? It, yeah, he actually was. <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> yeah. We, it was about um, two weeks later. No way. Later. It, I don't know what it is with that timeline. The two-week timeline, it seems to be this repeating. But two weeks later, after we decided, and he said that, and he was like, nope, we're going to have to bring him to our door, drop him in our lap we're not doing anything. And I said, okay. And our agency called us and she started to tell me about this family that was somewhat local to us who unexpectedly had a baby with mosaic down syndrome. And they, they, in the course of the conversation, she was encouraging them that families do want to adopt children who have down syndrome. And she mentioned our family and told them a little bit about us. And the birth family was like, well, can they come, can they come and meet us? Can they come and talk to us? And so she was calling to set up a time for us to go to their home, take our kids along and talk with them. So we uh, went, we went up to their house on a Tuesday and we connected with them. And the next morning, the director of the agency called us and said, they're really considering placing him for adoption. And, but they would really like if, you don't mind to just take the baby and take care of him so they can rest up and think of their decision. And she said, do you think 
it would be okay if they would bring him to your house tomorrow. <gasps> so we, <laughs> we said, sure. Yes. Wait and a second. After- Wait a second. <laughs> were you like, we, this, we're not renting a baby here. Right. I mean, that's a lot to ask of a family. Can you take him for a little bit so we can decide? <laughs> that's like yeah. outrageous <laughs> to me. And you guys said, yes, <laughs> we did. We were just thinking the like the director said, oh, it's kind of like you're just babysitting for a weekend and then they'll make a decision and then we can go from there. So we thought, no problem. You know, we can do that, even though I'm panicking inwardly because the only thing I have left is a crib that's dismantled in the basement because everything else has, had been given away. So I frantically went through the kids baby tubs and pulled out blankets and onesies and anything I could find that might I could maybe use. And sure enough, the next day they brought him just, he was about two weeks old and they brought him to our door and handed him to us and explained how to feed him. And it was completely overwhelming because we were just totally, (laughs) totally surprised. Was he healthy? Yes, he was completely healthy. And that was amazing. And And we really, I mean, I really was just looking forward to, oh, we'll just take care of this baby. This will be great. I'm just going to, I'm going to just hold him. I'm just going to babysit for two weeks. (laughs) Yes. I'm going (laughs) to hold him and love him and care for him. And, and then, you know, when we have to hand him back, we'll just know, hey, we were there for him when he needed us and when they needed us to take care of him. And so the weekend came and went and they called us and they asked us if we would please adopt him, which we, of course, by then we were completely in love with this little guy and said, yes, we will. And we completed our home study again, start to finish in two weeks um, from application to approval. And then we had all of the other placement papers signed and finalized his adoption when he was eight months old. Ah, well, that's good. It wasn't two weeks that you had him while you were waiting. It was only a weekend. That's good. And yes. isn't it amazing how you can fall in love with a baby so fast? Yeah. Just a absolutely. weekend. I remember when we picked up AJ and he was also medically fragile and it, it was very overwhelming to me. And then we brought him home and we fell in love with him. And then they said that the birth mom had showed up at the agency to talk to them. And I just went from, I don't know if I can handle this to, oh my gosh, we could lose the baby. And it's amazing (laughs) how much we loved him in such a short time. That's the miracle of babies. Do you want to get another baby? Is this inspiring (laughs) you, babe? (laughs) We got four as well. We're good. We're good. (laughs) Our story is very similar in the fact that we closed our home study at three children as well. We were good. And then we started Adoption Now, kind of like you guys were in the midst of starting your magazine. And all of a sudden, we got a call that birth mom was pregnant again, our daughter's birth mom. And so we kind of got thrown into the four as well. And it was like, oh my gosh, a baby on a doorstep, kind of. We had to go to Florida (laughs) and we had to pay a lot of money, but it ended up working out. But it's really hard to do that while you're trying to grow a company. Let's talk about what you guys do. Well, Early on, um, we, I guess for, for me, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. So after being in the NICU for nearly two months with our daughter, m- my concern looking ahead was, 
you know, actually very self-centered and, and, and my prayer became, okay, Lord, you're, you know, you need to help me be able to afford all that, that I, you know, saw coming. And so, so it was, I mean, you know, to, to begin with, it was actually a pretty self-centered prayer, you know, simply to, to be able to, you know, handle all the costs. And a client of mine said something and I took that idea, kind of prayed through it, thought through it and thought, well, you know, let's, let's run a test. So basically what we did is we took a purified Amish market and built a mailing piece that, that promoted local clients, you know, services and businesses and things like that to people all across the state. And it worked like crazy. They got a ton of response, but it was crazy expensive. And so as, as we were thinking through everything, I told, I told Lisa, you know, what if we retooled it into a magazine and, and we could talk about the dignity of kids with special needs and, and, and how wonderful, you know, beautiful adoption is. And, you know, just, just to be able to share the gospel, uh, you know, to talk about all sorts of ministry work that's being done all over the planet. And, and, and that idea has really kind of blossomed into what Plain Values is all about today. Uh, it, it, it has been a real joy. Uh, we, we have some, some pretty, pretty phenomenal uh, columnists every month. And it, it has just been just been a blast. We've we've actually been able to play a small role in, in more than a dozen adoptions of kids that have special needs all around the world. That's so great. Uh, it, it's been fantastic. Is your background Amish? I grew up Amish. Yeah, I did. Because I'm looking at the magazine right now and there are articles with a lot of Amish people taking care of children and telling their stories, which is really great. It's a really great community to reach out to. It has been really, really fun. And there is an article in here on how to make your own saltines, which my mom was super <laughs> excited about. <laughs> so you put recipes in there. Now, what if someone wants to get this magazine? They can learn more and, and subscribe at plainvalues.com. Okay. And you guys wrote a book also. Yes, we decided that a few years ago we were going to compile a stories from adoptive families, families who have adopted kids with Down syndrome specifically, because as I, you know, years ago when we were first adopting, there were just no resources. I couldn't find anyone to connect with and I couldn't find families who had done this and I couldn't find books to read about it. And it was really frustrating. And I thought once we, we had expanded into a book publishing department, which has since gone back away and we're just the magazine now. But in that time, that was our number one goal was to get this book out there to share stories of families who had adopted kids with Down syndrome, both domestically and internationally. And it's called Extraordinary because it, we're not, we're just ordinary families. Nobody's special. Nobody's superhuman. We just were willing. That reminds me of the lucky few. We had the lucky few on the show. and. She wrote a book, same thing, just feeling like we are the lucky few that are chosen to take care of children like this. We are the lucky ones, you know, and we're yeah. not anybody extraordinary. We just decided to love children that needed us and we needed them, which I think is so great. So you have a nonprofit called Room to Bloom. I understand that that helps raise funds for adoptive families, specifically who are adopting special needs children. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, Room to Bloom is a nonprofit that we began 
uh, a few years ago. You know, over the last 10 years, we, we have had uh, just a wonderful opportunity to get to know many, many ministries that are doing really great work, um, you know, from, from, you know, orphanage care uh, to all sorts of, you know, j- just all sorts of ministry work. And in, in the back of our minds that there was, for years, there was this gnawing feeling or, or thought that, that we can do more uh, to, you know, to raise funds and, and raise awareness. Uh, many times, many times we would, we would share of, of a certain, uh, you know, work being done. And, and I would encourage our readers to, you know, if, if, if they care, you know, please say a prayer for these folks. And if, and if you, if you can, you know, send a check or send, you know, send something here. And many times the stories that, that came out of that were, were pretty stinking incredible. And so I knew that, that we had our readers here, that they, you know, that they trusted us, that, that they, uh, that they were paying attention. And so as, as we were thinking and praying through all of that, uh, we just simply decided, well, let's just go for it now, you know, rather than wait and, you know, do something down the road and, and then maybe not get it done. Let's just do it now. And in the past, I, I think in the past year and a half, not even quite two years, uh, our, our readers have given us many hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and, and we've been able to, to make a real, real difference in, in a, in a good handful of adoption uh, situations. It's been, it's been a real blessing. That's so great. One last question I have. Noah has one last thing he wants to say. What was the name of your last son? Oh, his name is Miles. Aw, and how old is Miles now? He's four. He's four. We have a four-year-old too. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's like little kids forever, diapers forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, they're all out of diapers now. Thank goodness. But it felt like there was a span there where we were always buying them. Always. And right now they're outrageously expensive. So, whew. Or past that stage. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's amazing how many times there's commonality, even though our stories are very different and very unique. April and I are sitting here looking at each other and half the time we're just in shock of like how similar certain aspects of your story are in line with our own and mm-hmm. how God has really given both of you a very clear call. And I think that is something to be honored and respected, I think to know that you have this amazing call for these kids. Uh, I, I'm, I applaud you and I, I just want to encourage you that the work that you're doing is incredible. Well, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I did think that Noah was looking at me like, cause he was in love with me really <laughs> <laughs> thinking about your similarities. <laughs> thank you guys for joining us. I will post a, a link to your book and to your magazine and to your nonprofit. I am in love with you. <laughs> you are. <laughs> thank you for joining us, Marlon and Lisa. Thanks for having us. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you'd like to share, please email us at afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. If you'd like to donate to Adoption Now, we are a nonprofit. You can donate through Facebook by clicking on the donate button. We can also have you subscribe to get our weekly podcast and follow us on social media. Thank you for joining us on your adoption show. See you next episode.